The Block Talk podcast started because of my passion for the property management industry. I wanted to start a conversation and add some value within the industry with a diverse range of people and professionals who can add something extra. As we start out, my aim is that the podcast offers some useful insight into a variety of views, opinions, thoughts, and foresights from our guests who include business leaders and industry experts. If you enjoy the podcast and want to find out any other information, head on over to brianwelsh.co.uk. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Block Talk podcast with me, Brian Welsh and Jax Bruce. Um, so today we have the pleasure of speaking to Malcolm Perriman again. We're also joined by Zoe Southwell as well. Malcolm is the commercial manager of the Property Institute who led the research into mental health in the property management sector. Malcolm has been with the Property Institute for almost three years now and prior to this was an affinity and sponsorship manager at the RICS. Zoe is part of the senior management of Block Recruits and contributes to the strategic direction of the business. Amongst her many accolades, she was winner of the supplier category of the Property Management 50 Awards in 2021. She has participated in public speaking competitions, which I'd like to hear a bit about during this as well, is an associate of the Institute of Recruitment Professionals, has a diploma in neurolinguistic programming, that interests me as well, and currently holds Block Recruits monthly sales record, which I'm sure she's very proud of. So we've got an interesting conversation coming up. But Malcolm, you're going to start with a bit of background and the story leading up to this point. And then we're going to bring in Zoe to chat about the data and all of the hard facts. And then we'll have a chat through the questions we've put together. <clears throat> Malcolm. Yep. Okay. So um, Zoe and I were invited uh, by the organising team for the Armour Conference uh, in 2022 uh, to come and talk in a, in a session that they had about um, recruitment, uh, the issues of uh, recruiting and retaining people in property management. Um, and um, it, it made an interesting debate. There were lots of questions afterwards. Um, and essentially what we were asked to do was first build a picture of, of who the protagonists are. So what is an average property manager like? Um, and also as well, what's their employer like? Uh, and then Zoe had a lot of data from a study that Block Recruit had conducted, uh, which I'm sure she'll she'll come on to later on. Um, really, just looking at what what people want from from their employer these days, and and how that's changed over the years. Uh, so, just thinking about my part first, um, who who is the average property manager? So, I was able to look at the IRPM database and. I mean, many people are surprised by this, but in fact, you know, it's now a female dominated profession. So the majority of property managers are, are women. Um, the average age is pretty much bang on 40 with them having to come into property management sometime in their mid to late 30s. The majority of them working in London and the southeast. Um, and, you know, they've been an IRPM member in general um, for about two and a half years. So I drilled down a bit further and I just got a bit of persona details about this person as well. So if you look at their average name, the most commonly occurring uh, first name is Sarah and the most commonly occurring female um, surname is Smith. So we've got this persona of Sarah Smith. Um, okay. They're working their way to becoming an associate level member. 
Um, and they're in that difficult phase of life where they're a, a mid-careerist. So you, you, you've already had a profession somewhere else. You come in um, and all of a sudden you've got all this weight of expectation on you because you're not a rookie. You're not, you know, straight out of college. Um, and people just expect you to absorb information. Yeah. Um, they expect fewer errors and they, they deal with errors more harshly um, in general. Um, and, um, you know, you've got all those other things going on at that time of life. You've got a mortgage, you've got kids, you've got nursery, you've got elderly parents, um, you've got the cost of living crisis and your day job is being a property manager at the same time. So, you know, there's an awful lot of of things going on in, in that average member's life. And then I had a look at, uh, you know, who the firm managing directors were. Um, looking at um, armor firms, and it's a completely different profile. So there's a 77% likelihood that they're a man, um, and they're a whole decade older. Um, so they they tend to be 50 years old. Where they are an IRPM member, which isn't true in all cases, they're not necessarily IRPM, but they've been with IRPM for, for 10 years. And, and it just built up this profile where um, we've got the employer coming from a baby boomer or Generation X background yep. and being male, uh, and you've got a millennial um, female um, being the, the the property manager. And that was really, you know, the, the information that Zoe and I looked at and spoke about, about what that meant, what the impact on, on the survey was. Um, and, um, you know, I'll hand over to Zoe at this stage to talk about um, what, what she said at the conference. So Zoe, before so 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 that that's really inform- interesting information actually because you know this is not just block management companies you know lots of businesses are the same you know I mean I'm I'm 52 years of age and and you know um, we we have people who work for us from the age of 18 developers and or maybe 21 developers so actually Gen X millennial and Gen Z you know entirely different people um, and and how to deal with some um, um, how to deal with and engage with and motivate um, people of, um, you know, these different generations are very difficult thing to do or, or challenging, maybe more, more, more so. Um, so, so we, we know a bit about who block managers are, um, but what is it they now want from their employers? Yeah, so we as Block Recruit conduct a salary and qualification survey every year in, in conjunction with the IRPM. Okay. Um, and it's there's usually sort of a bit of a contrast in terms of what the market wants versus what the market's actually offering, okay. um, as in any sector. Yeah. However, the results coming back from this year were so far apart that it's almost like the candidates are moving at such a rate that the employers are so far behind in catching up that the alignment is so far out of sync that it kind of explains the recruitment crisis. Um, I think generally in terms of block management as a sector, we're pretty far behind. (laughs) I mean, we've only kind of just moved into um, the era of flexible working and that was because of a pandemic. Um, In terms of the results that were coming back for us. So if we take the benefits, for example, um, the top three benefits that people have in the sector right now, the first is pension. So that's just a company pension. The second is paid membership. So that's per, uh, professional membership. So like the IRPM, RICS. Um, and the third is paid training. So again, IRPM, RICS. 
what people actually want as their top three. The first was enhanced holiday, which is 25 to 30 days plus bank holidays. Okay. Second was flexible working. And that's when they can decide which days are their flexible days. So that's yeah. not the employer saying, oh, it has to be two days a week and it has to be a Monday and Wednesday. Yeah. That's the person themselves being able to decide. And the third was a bonus. Um, so very much sort of coming outside of the pandemic, it's the main trends have been sort of health and wealth, essentially, for the sector. Um, and that's kind of not really adding up <laughs> with still what's being offered. Um, there are a few companies out there that are sort of clocking on and really looking at their employer um, branding and their employee value proposition to be able to attract. But because there's so many companies that are so slow to being able to adjust to what people actually want or perhaps not really wanting to acknowledge it, it's making it so much harder for them to, to one, attract and recruit, but also retain. Okay. Wow, that's actually really interesting because, you know, pension pension is not a benefit anymore. Pensions no. are... A right, and in fact, it's 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 legislative. So, so yeah, I think you know, um, running software companies um, is is my background, and for me, we've just looked to enhance holidays for people in both businesses, um, and we also look at flexible working. But you know, there's a lot of people pushing, you know. Elon Musk telling everyone to go back to the office. And I don't really know whether flexible working is quite broad, right? But I don't really know. Flexible working had a probably a meaning about two years ago pre-pandemic. I don't even know if that it has a meaning now it, or, or, or anyone's decided what that meaning is because it, it means so many things to different people. And, and the challenges you get is if you then have, I mean, I don't know how, I'm guessing it's difficult to recruit into into block management, okay. Oh God! Yeah. <laughs> so, so, so my only, the only way I can I can relate to that is finding good developers is impossible. Yeah, mm. and it really is a difficult thing to do. So I think we now have, certainly in CPL, fifty percent of our developers cannot go to an office because there is not one beside them. Yeah, and and the reason for that is we need to employ the length of breadth of the country to find the right people. So talent acquisition, I think, in 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 the next kind of six months to a year is going to become something that is is very hot on the agenda. And you know, for firms that don't don't keep up or don't change, they're just going to lose their good people. Absolutely. And they're going to go work for people who do change, aren't they? Oh, 100%. Exactly, that's it. And there's very few, sort of going back to what you were saying, what is flexible working? I think a lot of the time as well, it's just about giving people the option. Um, because as soon as you take that away and you're saying you have to be office-based, we're now sort of as a company having to turn away those positions because we can't invest the resources and the time in trying to find someone that doesn't exist, basically, yeah. Yeah. Um, because it's just not there. Someone that wants to be fully office-based is literally a needle in a haystack. And yeah. you'll be having these conversations with employers to say, you just need to give people the option. Yeah. It's only sort of a day or two a week that some people actually want. It's not fully five days a week, but there's so much resistance. Yeah. I literally only had a conversation with an employer last week and they were saying, well, I think that because of the recession, everyone's going to want to go back to office working. 
and you kind of sit there and you're like, well, I understand that's your opinion and I, I get your view, but also what I'm telling you is factual. It's not my opinion that yeah. you should yeah. not have flexible working. It's yeah. factually the data, that's what the data you, you won't recruit if you don't. Um, and I think that's because of the burnout rates of block management. You see it all the time. There's There's so much as we all know, stress and pressure that gets put on anyone in this sector, which is just constantly mounting up with, as we know, sort of the, the inbound reg- regulations, sort of fire safety, building safety, everything that's going on, people are burning out at a much quicker rate. Yeah. And therefore the, the change and need for more flexibility um, is just shot up on the priority list. Yeah. That's not a surprise. I said I nearly laughed when you. I wondered what you were going to come out and say as the surname because my when you started this, Malcolm, because my other half is a is in management, not residential. She's in commercial management. Her name's Sarah. Her second name's not. <laughs> so um and and she and she works from home. I mean, she has a she has a, a a new job that she started recently, and you know they're saying yeah, come into the office a couple of days a week just so that you can you know be with your um with your colleagues and stuff like that. But she she decides what day she wants to go in. So now, that's now. Some employers are then going to go. Well, let's do an Elon Musk or whatever and mm. get everyone back in. So yeah, I get what you mean. I um, forgot to say actually, the male persona is um, Mark Williams, and okay. um, I think that got a laugh because there was a Mark Williams in the who was the managing director and of course you know when you hit average names you're gonna yeah. so at the end i apologize to um sarah smith and mark williams because of course yeah. they're wonderful individual people and i've just turned <laughs> them into a generalized persona yeah but but it, it's what the data showed you so it was just it was fluke wasn't it although i'm surprised there wasn't a sarah smith in the audience to be fair um okay so so um what was the reaction to the presentation at the conference? As we, as I was sort of speaking about um, the contrast in what people have and what they want um, in terms of benefits, there were a few hands sort of instantly shooting up um, that were coming back with, but I still feel there's a place for office working and sort of pushing the, the office working agenda back out there and I kind of addressed that with, again, like I've just said to you guys, um, that's opinion and it's not fact. And I personally am not saying that I believe that there's not a place for office working because I myself like going into an office. Um, But if you want to if you want to be able to attract and retain in this sector, you need to offer it. And it needs to become more about being solution focused because half the time it's not actually something people have trialed. And if they haven't, it went wrong. Why did it go wrong? Um, you know, put, put action steps in places to overcome that. They're, they're only obstacles. They're not, this is the end of the line. It will never work. Yeah. Um, we also spoke about sort of the four-day week um, uh, and things like that as part of our talk, which sparked quite a lot of discussion. And actually there were a few people that came up to me after the talk um, that wanted to speak about that a bit more um a couple of them were suppliers which doesn't surprise me because i i think as an industry the suppliers kind of move at a a bit of a quicker rate than than the management companies i get that there's a lot to adjust but um yeah that certainly sparks conversation in itself Mm, okay where is there any data that you've got on that or is that not really a question is that just something that came out as well on the four yeah so we operate a four-day week at block recruit 
Um, we've been trialing that for about eight months now. Um, we've done it in two phases where we've done uh, sort of the standard four day week for six months. So you either work Monday to Thursday or Tuesday to Friday um, in two teams to ensure that the office is always manned. Um, and we're now in the middle of a trial of doing four days across five. So you work reduced hours, but five days a week. Um, so that's been interesting. We're just coming to the end of that one in March. Um, and we will then be releasing all of the data that we've had from both sides, both in terms of sort of productivity, but also staff engagement, happiness yeah. levels, things like that. So we'll be releasing that fairly soon. That would be really interesting. I think Scott, four day week is something that the Scottish government are very much looking at the moment, and and, and, that, and there's been a lot of press about it. So, mm-hmm. so let me get this right: salaries are the same, benefits are the same, work less hours. Yeah. And I, I, you know, I, I don't want to guess. Um, well, no, I will guess on your. <laughs> on, I, I think, I think, pro, I don't think productivity will take a hit. I actually don't think productivity will take a hit. Yeah. And even in the one that they've been rolling out across the UK, that's come back really positive with productivity yeah. increasing. Um, whenever we've spoken about the four-day week, people say, oh, so do you work longer hours? It's like, well, no, because then that's not four-day week. Well, it's four-day week, but it's still cramming five into four. So the whole point is less working time, working essentially smarter, not harder, as cliche yeah. as that sounds. But, yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah, and we have a few. We have a few clients actually who have some staff who run what, what they call compressed. So they do their five days and four. But mm-hmm. yeah, but but you're still doing the same amount of hours. Um, and Malcolm, from the what about your your views on the reaction from the presentation at the conference? So I spoke to Zoe um, afterwards about it, and um, you know I think people were disagreeing based on opinion. Um, rather than the data which which Zoe had, um, yeah. and I think you know those opinions are probably driven from their own experience. You know, like me when I was um, young and coming through my early steps of my career, I think people wanted different things in those days, and yeah. you know there there were different ambitions. So what I was told to do was to get fast promotions, put in a lot of hours, yeah. um, show a lot of dedication, presenteeism don't leave before the managing director leaves all that stuff you know was from a kind of uh, a sort of ma- a more macho culture i guess yeah. you know in, in the workplace um and it, you know if i reflect on that and say well those are the things did i want those things you know and also did other people want them at the time certainly it's true that people don't want them now yeah um so i think the whole thing has moved on and it's important that we shift our expectations of what people want on on the data today rather than how we felt when we were at their age yeah i i think it's always difficult because you have preconceptions don't you of 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 this is how my career started and and um this is how i was when i was that um that age but it but if that's all you look at then nothing ever changes does it you just you end up in a in a continual um a continual cycle of of, of nothing changing and I okay. guess, you know, there are people out there who, who who do want quick promotion. They do want advancement. They do want the salary increases. Undoubtedly, those people exist. Yeah. Um, but, um, you know, that's not the majority any longer. Yeah. yeah. I think as well, even the people that still have that, because there's still very much, you know, ambition within the sector. People do still want to progress. People do still want to um, 
improve both sort of professionally and personally within the sector but those people also want flexibility it's not one or the other necessarily it's they want the flexibility too and sometimes having that flexibility and you know the enhanced holiday so that they can take a rest and come back refreshed instead of burning out will help them achieve the career growth that they do want yeah Um, so it kind of couples up and I think if you look at you know, what people have got right now, which, like I say, is pension, paid memberships, paid training. If I think back to when I first joined the sector eight, nine years ago, it wasn't always a given that a company would pay for um, someone to go through the IRPM or pay for them, you know, their annual membership. So I think at the time, that was certainly top of the priority list because people did want professional growth and couldn't necessarily afford it themselves. Fast forward, like I say, now eight, nine years it's very rare that a company won't support someone through yeah. the IRPM yeah. financially or, you know. Um, and so because that's now more of a given, what people actually want as a benefit has now changed or sort of yeah. gone with times, but what companies are offering hasn't, you know, grown with it essentially. So it's not that the the benefits have become less valuable. It's just that those that were being offered a while back, like a good few years yeah. back, are just now more of a given. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I always remember. I mean, I'm, 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 I'm a bit older. I always remember my first job. Now I'm fifty-two, nearly fifty-three, and I always remember my first job. And I, I've always been in tech, and I had to go, I had to drive from Glasgow to Wales to Cardiff to do a job, um, and it was over a weekend because they they were going to have some downtime, and so I wasn't being paid for it. So I was traveling in my own time in the evening, doing two days' work, and I said to my boss what's my allowance for dinner? He said, oh, I'm not paying for your dinner. And I said, I'm sorry? So I'm not being paid for this weekend and you're not going to pay for my dinner. And he said, oh, no, no, definitely not. I said, well, you can go yourself then. <laughs> so, I, you know, and, and that, I mean, okay, that was 30 years ago. Yeah, 32 years ago. But that's what people thought. So actually, you know, bosses and, and benefits have been dragged into um, where we are now, and you know, and these things should not be given. I mean, I don't, I don't know how we fare comparison-wise. Um, one of the things we do offer is you can buy holiday, so mm-hmm. we have a number of people who take an extra five days holiday and reduce their salary throughout the year, uh, and and you know, we do enhance. I don't know what we give. Uh, to be fair, it must be about twenty-three to twenty-five. I think is where. But then you know, you also. People get, after two years, I think, they get an extra day um, holiday and that, you can do that up to, after seven, you get an extra five. So, you know, um, listening to what you've said, you're saying, I don't, you know, I, I, you know, I don't think as a business, um, I think we could certainly do better, but, I, but it sounds like there's a lot worse out there. Yeah. So, 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 so how do how do we how do how do you influence this to change? How do you or do you just keep beating the drum and and when people start losing staff to to the people who are doing this, that's when they change. It's a very good question. One that perhaps I don't necessarily know the answer to. Because if I did, it would make my job a hell of a lot easier. Um, I think there's just still so much. Um, that that employers need to maybe just be more open-minded to. Um, There's certainly 
a lot of times that I feel like I'm banging my head against a brick wall because I feel like as a sector, recruitment is such a pain point. It's a huge headache for so many people. We're constantly talking about the war on talent and how difficult it is to recruit and how much longer the recruitment process is becoming. And it's very simple, small things that a company could do to make that better for themselves that they're not quite willing to do. Um, And it's certainly something that we're always trying to explore as a company. We're always sat there thinking, why? No, why is it? What could possibly stop these people from offering flexible working? Because in actual fact, the benefits that people want won't cost the company anything um, and could actually help save them money because, you know, there's companies in the sector that have moved to full home working or flexible working and operate on a hot desk policy and therefore haven't needed to uh, get a bigger office or they've been able to downsize, hence saving them money. So as well as obviously money in terms of the bigger picture of not needing to re-recruit staff or you know, spend thousands on on trying to retain people. It's it's pretty easy stuff. Um, some may argue that point, but to me, it, it seems that way mm-hmm. in terms of flexible working because it was easy for us as a business. But certainly, we're still banging the drum. Certainly, there are companies out there that are willing to change and are willing to listen. There's still quite a lot that aren't. Um, and it would be really interesting, actually, to just hear as to why, because at the moment it's sort of a mind read situation. We're constantly guessing because nobody can really give sort of a valid answer. <laughs> um, but uh, I, I, it has to change. It's not really a case of if, it's when, because yeah. otherwise, you know, companies aren't just aren't going to have any staff. So, yeah. Yeah, I think... Yeah, that, that that that's interesting. I wonder if there would be your next set of data would be what's the um, what's the persona profile of the people who have changed and the people who yeah. you know the companies who offer and the companies who don't offer. Because to me, as an employer, um, I reckon my view on the world has changed dramatically in the last three to four years, yeah? And I talk a lot about this sort of stuff on LinkedIn. And and I am, and I think you're, I think the problem is fear. I think the problem is, you know, I'm an, I'm an employer. I make X amount of money and I'm trusting my employees to work from home and actually do their job, yeah? <laughs> and, and I think it's a fear-based thing. But of of actually have employing people you're paying to do no no work and they're not actually doing what they're meant to do, but but act, but actually if you've got engagement and you've got I guess processes and you've got the right culture within your business that's not going to happen anyway because mm-hmm. you're going to be able to spot easily the people who aren't who aren't kind of pulling their weight I guess yeah. but I, I think I think there's a you need they, you need to see them in an office. There's a mentality of you need to see them in an office, and I think that's and I, I'm, I'm going to say this. Maybe I'm not going to be. This isn't going to be overly overly well received. I think older people, older bosses, probably have more of an issue with that because they have spent more of their working life in an office where that was kind of the mentality. Yeah, yeah. Um, and and you know and and you know. I, as an employer, I still sit there and go, why is our software not ready in time? Why is our testing behind? Why is this? Why is that? Why is the next thing? Um, you know, these are things that may pop into my head. Um, 
But unless you're connected with your team and you're connected, or and and their managers are connected, or the, your team's managers are connected with them, and and you know, it is more, it is harder work when you're remote, but 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 you can still do it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I think people are influenced by their early experience, aren't they? So, you know, I came into the workforce um, during a recession and yeah, I did a group interview for one role where there were 36 candidates for the job. And I was reminded, you know, that if I didn't um, hold up my end of the bargain, there were 35 people behind me, you know, who were happy to do so. So and that's always influenced me, you know, in terms of my attitude to work and my work ethic and I think you know since then there's been a, a continual raising of the bar by staff in terms of what their expectations are yeah. and it doesn't stop here you know it will carry on evolving because yeah. talent will be able to demand that and, and employers if they want that talent will have to meet that expectation so it never stops it's a continual process of evolution yeah yeah no absolutely 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 and when gen z become the the dominant um, generation within within block management is going to change again dramatically because that you know um, um, there's a huge shift change there as well. Okay, anyone get anything else to add? Because I want to ask you about NLP. So. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I was just going to say I agree. I completely agree. I think it's fair because it, they don't. A lot of the time, there's no real evidence as to why you wouldn't or why it wouldn't work. It's the fear and the trust, um, and then that speaks volumes for you as an employer. If you're Absolutely. saying the reason you're not offering it is because you can't trust your staff to work from home, because that's basically the message you're sending. So, yeah, it's an interesting one. The other thing that I can think of, sorry, Brian, is just um, talking to talking to employers that there are a lot of different tactics that people are are deploying now in order to try and, you know, recruit and, and get frontline property managers. So there's a lot of grow your own. There's an awful lot of people who are taking staff that they like from their admin teams, from their call center from their finance teams even, and converting them into property managers. You know, if they've got the right attitude and aptitude, they're growing their own. I think there's something around about 160 apprentices uh, as well that are, um, you know, members of IRPM who are um, gaining their qualification um, that way. Um, And there's lots of different routes to success. So I think, you know, we've been trying to widen the doorway without lowering the bar. And, uh, you know, all those tactics have to be tried. If you go out and just try and recruit someone and say you've got to be AIRPM or MIRPM, it's a hell of a job. And also, you know, there's a danger of wage inflation there as well. The the only other thing is retention in the market. If you do have AIRPM or or MIRPM, then I think it's 160 and 170 percent greater likelihood that you'll still be in the sector in five years time. So I think when people have invested that time, they've achieved those qualifications, um, there's more reason for them to stay. There's more opportunity for them. Um, And they've invested so much, it's a lot more to give up. I'm not saying those people don't leave and I'm not saying that they don't leave individual firms. But in terms of retaining a pool of talent for the sector, obtaining those qualifications makes a huge amount of difference to longevity. Yeah. Okay. 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 Zoe, anything else to add? Not other than I agree. <laughs> yeah, definitely invest in your team. We've spoken a lot about flexibility, but in terms of 
you know, it's the, the other things too, like, like Malcolm said, investing in them professionally, offering the chance to, to really develop an upskill to not only, um, you know, improve their skill set, but make their job a lot easier because it's a, a really difficult job being a property manager or, for, you know, for that matter, being anyone in the sector um, and offering, I, I believe, sort of well-being support as well because, like I say, burnout rates are super, super high. So anything around, you know, resilience and the softer skills is really beneficial. Yeah, it, it reminds me of that saying, and I can't remember who said it, and, and it's probably gone around the internet, it's 45 different people saying it, but finance director <laughs> goes to CEO and goes, what happens if we spend this money on training and they leave? The CEO goes, what happens if we spend don't spend the money and they stay? Yeah. So, I mean, and it's absolutely, it's absolutely true. You know, it's absolutely true. Okay, well, that's been absolutely fabulous. So why NLP? And, and the reason I ask is because I have a twin brother who's, very well qualified in NLP and he talks to me about it all the time when we do chat why NLP do you do, do you do you find it helps you in your working day does it is it something I do yeah massively massively as a business we've implemented so many different things since since doing it because um it's my managing director Alice that sort of came to me and was like oh, I'm going to do a course in NLP I think you should do it too let's get right. everybody in senior management NLP qualified um through a diploma and then let's get the rest of the team on board too because well, our, our job is people it's understanding people um being able to match them to employers and that's not just I'm looking for a property manager can you find me one it's yeah. you know the technical skill set but also very much their behavioral profile what True. really motivates them everything that would make that person stay yeah. Uh, yeah. because as a business we measure our success on our retention rates so how much more can we do to, to help these people retain their staff? And we got to NLP. Um, and do you know what? Honestly, throughout, because it was like three days long, throughout the whole three days and probably about three months after, my mind was going a thousand miles a second in yeah. any conversation I had because I was constantly thinking, well, do they really mean that? And do they, is that that? Yeah. Or is that a filter for them? And I wonder if they would do this and this and this. But we learned so many really interesting techniques um, that helped us not only with our own team, but also with interviewing and just generally in life that, yeah, I'd recommend it to anyone. Um, and we've put a few things together, actually, that we can share with people that are interested in it. But it's, yeah, it was it was a very interesting course. Good, good. I, he's all, I've, I've never really had the time. I've got a lot bit more time in my hands these days, but, but I never really, he's always... He always tries to tell me to do it. I did something. It's not similar, but um, I became a certified Clifton Strengths coach about during lockdown. Yeah, so now we look at all of our our teams, and before we employ, we Clifton Strength as well. And that's not to determine if we employ or not; it's to determine how they fit into a team yeah. or what team they fit into. And and you know, all of these things we just do it so that we we so. It is so we can get the most out of people, but it's so they can get the most out of their role as well, you know. So, and I, and I think if if employers would come round to this sort of way of thinking, then you know it would be it would be far easier. I mean, how much does it cost when you lose an employee? What's the actual cost of that time before you get someone back to the level that they were at? And 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 you know, what's the cost of that versus? all the things we're talking about today. I mean, it, it's, it's just astronomically different, isn't it? 
Yeah. I know there's a, a figure that floats around that's on average, it's about 30 grand. Yeah. Um, and I mean, I think generally as well, it's pretty priceless in terms of, you know, you can't put a, a price on it because especially given the length of the process that it takes to recruit someone in this sector, you're yeah. constantly losing money. Yeah. Um, and there's so many other ways that you can lose money by losing a member of staff because you can yeah. lose blocks, you can lose other members of staff because they're being yeah. spread so thin. Then you obviously have to invest time in uh, hiring and time is money, etc. So it just goes on and on and on. I think it's it's definitely more than 30 grand for this sector. Yeah, yeah, I can imagine. I can imagine. That's been fabulous. Malcolm, anything to add before we finish? No, no. Um, yes, yeah, NLP. Yes, I've. Uh, I know my keen aesthetic anchors from my embedded oh, commands. Nice. <laughs> so, Sorry, yeah. say that again. I missed that. Say that again. Kinesthetic anchoring and embedded commands. Those are the right, things okay. I remember from NLP. Yeah. You basically have a sentence and you put in a, an imperative into it and disguise it. But it tends to pr- prompt the person to think they need to take an action. And right, then kinesthetic, okay. kinesthetic anchors were the things that um, Tony Blair was trained in doing. And um, you'd meet people who were kind of um, kinesthetically orientated and that none of them could bear Tony Blair. Because he was trained, he was trained to to so that the majority of people in the country would respond to him, and that's visual orientation. Right. So he would do all these things where you yeah. hold your finger and thumb together and stuff like that. And yeah. um, Donald Donald people, an expert at it as well. Yeah, yeah, and it it, draw, it drives certain people up the wall. You know, they yeah. they see straight through it. Yeah. Excellent. Okay, I'm glad we got onto that one as well. Well, thank you very much for coming on. And um, yeah, I think we should you you do this survey annually don't you yes yeah um you can get in touch with us for the the full results from the one that we've just done the one that came out end of last year um and then we'll blink and we'll be doing it all over again so i I really do think though that it would be useful to do this again in a year's time to see what's changed yeah Yeah? i think that'll be a very useful thing to do as well okay thanks very much for coming on thank you thank you